Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana, as we are in our second week of our series entitled Taking Your Life Back. But two things before we jump in today's conversation or part two of our conversation, and that is this. When you came in today, there was a card on your seat um, that is all about group sign up. And on the card, you will find on the backside a QR code where you can link in to find what groups are available. And I just want to say this is a great opportunity for us, because especially with us being in this series, Take Your Life Back, because one of the things that I know in every difficult season of life, and, and we are in a more difficult season of life than ever, we need people, we need providential relationships, people that God brings into our life in order to help us stay focused on Him, refuel our souls, and uh, we just believe that life is better connected. So I would really encourage you as we go into this season Make sure that you are part of a small group. My prayer is that every person who's in our church family will be part of a small group because we need each other more than ever. So, man, I just want to make sure all of you are getting groups. If you've got questions about groups, you can stop by the gallery on your way out of your campus or stop in the lobby. They've got a, a booth set up for you to talk to someone that's got a sign that says groups. So be sure and check in with that. And just make sure that you are getting the group that is going to help fuel and refresh your soul in, in this season. Now, the second thing I'm excited to share with you about as well is today is the official launch of our Wakala campus. We had paused that out coming out of the COVID season, and so now we're an official launch of that uh, campus. And I saw a picture of the service that happened at 9 o'clock our time, 10 o'clock their time. Absolutely packed house. So amazing things are happening. Yeah, you celebrate that. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. So um, God just continues to do amazing things. Thank you so much for being a church that is not just for the community they're in, but you're for other communities as well. So go ahead and uh, open up your apps and you go to the talk notes where you can follow along or get your Bibles out as we jump into the second part of our series, Take Your Life Back. And last week we started this series, I shared an idea with you that John Eldridge introduced in his book, Resilient. And so at the risk of offending you, I'd kind of like to remind you that we may have have more in common with camels than what we realize. Not their looks, nope. Camels are known for something, though, that uh, is really extraordinary. Camels are known for the strength, stamina, and resilience. Because remember, I told you last week, they can carry heavy loads across scorching deserts for hundreds of miles, and they go weeks without waters. But here's the thing. Their strength, stamina, and resilience are also their Achilles' heel. Because see, a camel will walk a thousand miles with seemingly endless endurance, and then suddenly, without warning, it'll collapse and die. Because it has no way to tell whenever its reserves are depleted. And here's how you and I, as human beings, are similar to camels. We often get so caught up in surviving the madness of modern life that we don't realize when we are emotionally and spiritually depleted either. In fact, John Eldridge writes this. He says, human souls have an Achilles heel too. We have an astonishing capacity to rally in the face of calamity and duress. We rally and rally, and then one day we discover there's nothing left. Our soul simply says, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore as we collapse into discouragement, depression, or just blankness or numbness of soul. You don't want to push your soul to that point. But everything about the hour we're living in is pushing our souls to that very 
point. And while all of us, we know and we feel our souls being pushed to the point of collapse, the truth is too many of us, we want to just move past the trauma. We just want to move past the drama in our lives and we want to get our life back, whatever that means in our own minds. We've made it up in our minds. That's what it would look like. And whether you're a Jesus follower or not at any of our campuses today, I mean, don't we all feel this basic desire to just get our life back? I mean, we just wish that we could say, hey, life is good and we want life to stay good again. Now, think about this. How many people do you know in this season who said, I'm done? I mean, how many people know that have quit a job, they've quit school, they quit on a relationship, they quit life in some way. And the reasoning was, I'm done. I'm just not happy. Now, at the moment, we use the I'm not happy phrase or rationalization to say I'm done. It makes so much sense to us, doesn't it? But to those around us, many times they're thinking, how can you say you're not happy? I mean, your life is so much better than most people around you. You're so blessed. I mean, you have so many blessings in your life. I mean, how can you not be happy? So think about this question. What truly makes you happy? Now, this question is essential for us to think about in this season because we are on a pursuit for happiness. We're on a happiness quest more than ever. Coming out of the pandemic, everybody is looking for happiness. But here's what John Eldry says about this. He says, the longing for things to be good again is one of the deepest yearnings of the human heart. I want all of us at all of our campuses to let's read this out loud, this first sentence right here, because this is so important, because I want you to internalize this. Make sure you get this. Everybody say it together. The longing for things to be good again is one of the deepest yearnings of the human heart. See, one of the deepest yearnings of your heart is that life will be good again. It, it drives you, it, it drives your desires, it, it drives your emotions, it drives your feelings. So one of the things, or one of the deepest yearnings of the human heart is for things to be good again. It has slumbered in the depth of our souls ever since we lost our truer home. For our hearts remember Eden. Eden was when everything was perfect, and, and it's the place of the presence of God and Adam and Eve, and everything was absolutely perfect. Our longing for life to be good again, don't miss this, our longing for life to be good again will be the battleground for our heart. And then don't miss this next statement. How you shepherd this precious longing, and if you shepherd it at all, will determine your fate in this life and in the life to come. Don't miss that. How you shepherd this precious longing, and if you shepherd it all, it will determine your fate in this life and in the life to come. Listen, I hope all of you memorize that line. This sobering statement is why we must consider the question, what truly makes you happy? Because if we don't get clear on what truly makes us happy, what we will do is we will spend our lives looking for an escape from the crushing weight of life. And what we will do is we will look for the fulfillment of Eden 
in the madness of modern life. And the truth is, and I shared this with you last week, there is no escaping the reality, three words, everybody say them with me, that life is hard. I think you forgot since last week. There's no escaping the reality. Everybody all over our campus, say it with me, three words, that life is hard. Life is hard. And the best that the world can offer is this temporary distraction to delay the inevitable or deny the inescapable, the three words that life is hard. But here's the thing. We don't want to admit, we don't want to believe that there's no Eden to be found in this world. Because see, our longing for happiness, our desire for life to be good again, it's such a primal drive in our life. Now, many of us, we, we thought we knew what made us happy at one point in our life. Maybe before the pandemic, some of us have had never had any idea of what made us happy. Some of us think we know, but we really don't know. Some of us believe whatever the Instagram reels or the TikTok influencers have told us will make us happy, fulfilled, and, and that we'll have this sense of meaning and purpose in life. I mean, some of us are sure that what somebody else has will make us happy. And what happens is we start to assume that happiness is derived from a what. But eventually, here's what all of us discover, and that is this. A what always leads to a what else, right? In other words, you've never gotten a what that always kept you happy. Like, I'm just happy and fulfilled with this for the rest of my life. Because here's what. Every what leaks happiness, doesn't it? I mean, the newness eventually wears off, doesn't it? I mean, give it a little time, and what made you happy yesterday, it doesn't make you happy anymore. Now, here's why I bring this up. Some of us, we have decided that the best way to take our life back to find happiness is to isolate ourselves, to close our circle, keep the world out, try to avoid all the people that might create any trauma or drama in our life, any places or circumstances that might create any kind of stress in our life. Others of you, you've taken a different approach. You decided the best way to find happiness and fulfillment again is to catch up on all the things that you missed out during the pandemic. And I gave you this phrase last week. What we're doing is we're calling that revenge travel, right? We're filling our calendar full of trips and weekend experiences and getaways and activities and adventure more than we did even before the pandemic. And there's nothing wrong with having some fun. But the problem with having fun in order to fulfill what we're longing for in life is we're using fun to solve the wrong problem. See, we assume that life is not good. We assume that we're not happy because we're just kind of tired we're tired of conflict, we're tired of uncertainty, we're tired of pressure, we're tired of one challenge after another, we're tired of inflation, we're tired of anxiety and worry. We felt and we have and we still feel tired and we're confident that if we could just fix being tired, then we could fix our life. But our problem is, as I shared with you last week, our problem is not that we're tired, our problem is that we're empty. Our soul is empty. Our reserves are depleted and no amount of isolation, no amount of self-indulgence and fun or experiences will replenish an empty soul. Don't miss what I'm going to say next. The only one who can fill our soul is the one who created our soul. 
The only one who can replenish and refuel your soul is the one who created your soul. And that is why Jesus' invitation, as we looked at last week, is for all of us. Because we're all weary and we're all burdened. And he says, hey, I want you to take my yoke on you. And I want you to learn from me. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and make sure you get the full context by listening to that message. In fact, I love how the message paraphrase says this. Notice, it says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover life. He doesn't say get away. Southwest got it wrong. It's get away with me, Jesus said, and you recover life. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Don't you just love that line? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. See, that's what it means to follow Jesus, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's what it means to take his yoke on you and learn from him. It's to come to me, he says, get away with me. I'll show you, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Keep company with me. See, all of this is Jesus' invitation to just Follow me, he says. And the promise that Jesus gives us is that if we'll learn to come to him and get away with him and and walk with him and work with him and keep company with him, he says, listen, you'll find rest for your soul. You'll learn to live freely and lightly and you'll take your life back. This is all Jesus' way of saying, listen, I just want to make my life, that resurrection power kind of life, available to you. In fact, I love how John Eldridge describes the life that Jesus offers us in this statement here. He says, God wants to make his life available to you. Don't miss that. God wants to make his life available to you. Remember, he's the creator of those beautiful places you wish you could go for a sabbatical. All that beauty and resilience that you see in those places, all that life comes from God. And he wants to impart a greater measure of himself to you. So when you go, oh, I wish I could go there. I wish I could experience that. Oh, that would be an amazing place to go because it would be so refreshing and, and refueling to go there. But God is saying, no, 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 no. Remember, that beauty and that resilience, all of that comes from God. And he wants to not just put it in that place. He wants to put that in you as well. He wants to give you that kind of beauty and that kind of resilience. He wants to impart a greater measure of himself to you. The life of God is described in scripture as a river, a powerful, gorgeous, unceasing, ever-renewing, ever-flowing river. Don't you miss this? See, Jesus' invitation is not just believe in me. Jesus' invitation isn't even to be pray a prayer and become a Christian. No, no. he's inviting you. He's inviting you to experience his life. His lifestyle. His way of life. He's inviting you to experience a greater measure of his life in you. 
So the only way to take our life back is to take Jesus up on his invitation to love and to follow him. Now, for most of us, this leads us to a differently way of thinking than what we've been thinking. We tend to focus on the what's about life more than the who's in life, but here's the reality. To take your life back, you must focus more on who than on a what. And you already know this intellectually because happy people, people with genuinely good lives, people have meaning, fulfillment, purpose in life, they have one thing in common. And it's not the what's that they experience or have or possess. No, it is the peace with the who's, those people in their life. Now, here's the thing about this. This was central to the message that Jesus taught. In fact, one day, an expert in the law of Moses, he comes to Jesus and he approaches Jesus with a question, but his motive was not a question of curiosity. It was really, he was on a mission to trap Jesus. And he comes with this no-win kind of question in his mind that he's sure is gonna cost Jesus influence and make Jesus look bad. And here's the question. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to go with me to Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 36. Here's what this guy asked Jesus. He says, teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? In other words, he's saying, Jesus, what's God's favorite law? I mean, I know a lot of them exist, 614 to be exact. So simplify it for me, Jesus. Which one of the laws matters the most? Like, what's the one that I need to do in order to be right with God? Now, before we read what Jesus says, let, let me connect some dots with this question to how we get our life back. How does this tie into that? See, whenever we think about following Jesus or getting our life back, we don't naturally say, oh, let me just follow the commands of Jesus and life will be good again. That's not the first place that we naturally and normally look. In fact, even if you're a follower of Jesus, until you learn the unforced rhythm of grace, it's actually the opposite. Most of us, even those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we assume that if we really live out what Jesus will teach or what Jesus teaches us, that it's going to get in the way of us taking our life back. It's going to get in the way of our happiness and our fulfillment. See, we just want just enough of Jesus to get all the blessings that we can get or to bail us out when we get in trouble and the promise of heaven, you know what, the fire insurance, but we don't want all the stuff that he teaches. So now you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's not me. I want you to consider this question. Why don't you do some of the basic things that Jesus taught you to do in order to take your life back. Because see, all of us, we wanna take our life back. We want life to be good again. So why don't we just look at what Jesus said in scripture and go, oh, I need to do this and I need to do this and all these things then become an unforced rhythm of grace in my life and I'll have my life back. So why don't we do that? Why, why don't you love those people, whoever those people are in your life, like Jesus loves people? Why don't you honor those in authority? Why do you just keep stirring up the anger and the disunity and the discord every time somebody talks about someone in authority and just fueling that? Why, why don't you honor those people in authority? Because when you do that, you're honoring God. Or, or why don't you stop gossiping and backbiting? Like, why do you just keep saying, oh, I need you to pray for so-and-so because of blah, 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 and you really know it's not a prayer request. You haven't prayed ever for that person. You just want other people to know about it, right? 
Why don't you just stop gossiping and backbiting? Or, or why don't you forgive quickly and immediately? Why don't you do like Jesus and forgive in advance? Why don't you love your enemies? Why don't you bless those that curse you? Why don't you humbly put other people before yourself? Why don't you generously give of your time to serve or make generosity a top priority in your life? And some of you go, well, I have my reasons. If you know the story of my life, you'd understand why I don't do those things. Oh, really? Yeah, you have your rationalizations. You have your excuses for why you don't what, do what Jesus said to do in order to get your life back. The, the best reason, though, the real reason is, is you don't think what Jesus says is best for you. You, you don't think it's going to bring happiness back to you. You think it's going to get in the way of your happiness. You think if you do what Jesus said, then I'm not going to have a life. I mean, think about this. How often do we rationalize or argue that a scripture doesn't mean what it says so that we don't have to follow Jesus and learn to live in this unforced rhythm of Jesus' grace in a specific area of our life, like forgiving or loving those who are not so loving to us. But Jesus in his reply, he's about to teach us that adopting his life, learning his rhythm, it's the only way to take our life back. It's the only way for life to be good again. Now, the way that we adopt and the way that we learn to live in Jesus' rhythm of grace, it may surprise you. So you got your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Here's what Jesus says. He replied, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the first and the greatest command. And some of you are sitting going, wait, wait just a second. That, that doesn't sound like how you live out the command. What's the most important command? Like, how do I live that out? It doesn't sound like rule keeping. I thought this was a command. This, this response, it sounds a lot more relational to which Jesus would say, it absolutely is. Jesus is saying, if you want to take your life back, if you want life to be good again, then you have to be at peace with God. You got to be at peace with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the most important thing. It's the first and the greatest thing. It's recognizing how much God loves you and then loving him back. Because here's the thing. Happy people are people that are at peace with God. People who are finding meaning and fulfillment in life are people who are at peace with God. Now, here's the thing. If you're with us today at any of our churches and you're not a follower of Jesus or you wouldn't consider yourself a Christ follower, you might disagree with me on this, that this is the path to getting your life back. In fact, there was a season when I disagreed. I, I thought there was something I could do. There's another bend down the road that once I got around that, that I could figure it out. But no, no, no. From my personal experience as a follower of Jesus and from my experiences being a pastor and talking with people for the last 28 years, genuinely happy people, People who have a sense of meaning and purpose and fulfillment in their life. They are at peace with God. In other words, they have realized that this world cannot provide Eden. 
They have come to realize that there is so much more to life than just collecting a bunch of watts until they die or experiencing a bunch of watts until they die. They believe there's a greater purpose to life. They believe their lives have meaning. They believe following Jesus will make their lives better and make them better life. Even though life is hard, they absolutely believe that if I follow Jesus with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, it will make life better and make me better at life because they have come to understand it is hard to find rest for your soul without being at peace with the creator of your soul. Let me say that one more time. It is hard to find rest for your soul without being at peace with the creator of your soul. They have come to understand this statement, and that is this. In order to tap into the river of life, we begin by loving God in our longing for life to be good again. That's what Jesus was saying. He's like, hey, you want to tap into life? He says to this teacher of the law, this expert in the law, you want to tap into life? Hey, you know what? You begin by loving God in our longing for life to be good again with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Nearly all of us have been chasing relief in a myriad of hopes, plans, and dreams without first turning to God. Notice this next part of the statement. Our first step toward resilience is to return our primal drive for life and our longing for things to be good again to God. We come back to Jesus from all other places. We've been chasing life. I want everybody to read that sentence with me out loud in case you checked out so you understand this is the path to getting life back for life to be good again. Everybody, all of our churches, here we go together. Our first step toward resilience is to return our primal drive for life and our longing for things to be good again to God. We come back to Jesus from all other places. We've been chasing life. We allow him to be our rescuer here in our longing for life to be good again. And we ask God to fill us with the river of his life. And Jesus says, this teacher of the law. Until you begin by loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your longing for life to be good again, you will never be able to get your life back. Jesus said, loving him, following him, that's the most important thing you could do. It's the only way to tap into the source of life that can refuel your soul. Otherwise, your soul will just be famished and craving always for life to be good again. But that's not all Jesus says. Jesus says this also. Notice this in verse 39. He says, oh, and by the way, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is such a profound answer. I mean, remember the question was, Jesus, what's the most important command? And Jesus replies, well, it's to love God, it's to love your neighbor, and it's to love yourself. So to take your life back, he says, first of all, you got to be at peace with God. Your longing for life to be good again begins with your loving God. It begins with Jesus. And then he says, and then you got to love your neighbor. You got to be at peace with your neighbor. And let me just say, for some of you, your neighbor is not that person across the street that you never talk to. That's what we imagine as a neighbor. For some of you, your neighbor is the spouse that you're sitting beside right now. For some of you, your neighbor is the parent that you're sitting beside right now. For some of you, your 
neighbor is a child that you're sitting beside. For some of you, your neighbor is a coworker. It's that person that you disdain and you don't want to forgive and you don't want to release and you want payback and you want revenge. He's saying, listen, you want to get your life back. You need to love your neighbor. To take your life back, you have to be at peace with God and you have to be at peace with your neighbor. And then he says, and you have to be at peace with yourself. See, happy people are always people who have peace with themselves. They're, they're not arrogant people, but secure and confident in who they are in Christ because Christ is their security. He's the fuel for their life. They don't have insecurity or guilt from past regret rattling around inside of them, and they're not looking for the world to fulfill their needs. They're so secure in who they are that they're great with life not being about them. They don't have to be the center of the planet or the universe. In fact, they make their life all about the people around them and that allows them to be at peace with others as well. I mean, think about it. I said it last week, but have you ever met an angry, bitter, happy person? There's no such thing. See, can you ever be happy if you're not at peace with others? And the answer is what? Of course not. Of course not. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, all those other teachings that you've justified ignoring as well, all the ways that all those other teachings that you've rationalized your way out of doing, he says, guess what? Notice what Jesus says in verse 40. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, he says, every single command and every single teaching in scripture throughout scripture is summed up and it was designed to help you and I to be at peace with God, to be at peace with others and peace with ourselves. So as you learn to live in the unforced rhythm of grace by having peace in these three vital relationships. God says, you can take your life back and then life will be good again. Now, some of you are sitting and thinking, yeah, but what about all these other sins that the Bible talks about? I mean, it says there's a lot of things we should or shouldn't do in scripture. So I want you to think about this question. What is sin? What is sin? I mean, if you look at the scripture, what is sin? Think about it. Look at all the things in Scripture, the do's and the don'ts. When you really boil it down, sin, sin is simply not loving God, loving ourselves, or loving someone like Jesus loves me. It's what you boil it down to. And let me explain it this way. See, sin, it separates. This is why sin in our life is so dangerous and it's so destructive, because sin always separates Wherever there is any form of separation, there is sin. Think about this. Sin separates you from others. I mean, is that true? When you sin, it always negatively affects a relationship with a who or two. See, wherever you see people who have separated in life, it's because there's a sin in somebody's life or in both of their lives. There's some sin going on. See, we always say, well, we're breaking this relationship, we're quitting this relationship, walking out of this relationship because I'm just not happy. It's just not meeting my needs. No, the scripture is very clear that sin is what separates. But it's not only that sin separates you from others, sin does something else. Sin separates you from God. See, it separates you from God because when you've been separated in your relationship with others, you always hide out a portion of your life from God. And so you can never get your life back because God, Jesus said, listen, I want you to love the Lord. If you want your life back, you want life to be good again, you gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. All your being's gotta be surrendered to God. 
So it's separation from God because Jesus taught us that when you mistreat someone God created, you mistreat God. And third, then you separate yourself from you and you start hiding out. See, when you sin, you're not even happy with yourself. So deep set down, you know you're not living up to what you could and what you should be. So it creates all this inner turmoil and we blame all the inner turmoil on the world around us. Now, here's what I know about you. Your greatest regrets in life are because of sin and the separation it caused in your life. You broke peace with God, you broke peace with others, or you broke peace with yourself. See, every time you choose to sin, you're undermining life being good again. You're undermining your own happiness. And Jesus makes it very simple. He goes, listen, you, you, gotta, unlearn, you gotta learn the unforced rhythm of life that is at peace with others because of my grace in you. That's at peace with me, that's peace with yourself. So Jesus simply says, hey, so follow me. Learn to live your life in the unforced rhythms of my way of life, he says, because my yoke is easy and my burden is life and life is so much easier, so much lighter when you're at peace with God and when you're at peace with others and you're at peace with yourself. Here's my big question today is, what will you take Jesus up on that invitation? What will you commit through this series of conversations to be with Jesus? Spend time with Jesus in the morning and the evening. Let him show you how much he loves you. Let him show you what unconditional love looks like. Spend so much time with Jesus that you let God work in you so you start becoming like Jesus. Let him teach you how to live in the rhythms of grace, of love, so that you can love others and you can love yourself and you can love him and you can be at peace. And then will you choose to do what Jesus would do if he were you out of an unforced rhythm of grace? See, so many of us, we're, we're just white knuckling. We're just, just like, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen. That's not grace. Here's what I'll tell you. If you will, sin will no longer separate you and sabotage your life. Because when you love God and you love others and you love yourself, you're at peace with God, you're at peace with others, and you're at peace with yourself. And then you're on the path to finding a life in the unforced rhythm of grace that comes from following Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. So to take your life back, you must learn the unforced rhythm of a life that is at peace. Now, next week, we're gonna learn more about this unforced rhythm of grace that we gently learn as we follow Jesus and how they can help us take our life back and for life to be good again. But first, to follow means that we strive to be at peace with everyone and everything. So is there somebody that you need to make peace with today? I mean, is there this person that you need to go to and say, I'm sorry, my sin has caused separation in our relationship, and I am, I wanna make peace. Or, or maybe you're not at peace with yourself because of some things that you've done and you need to be honest with yourself and you need to forgive yourself today. I mean, after all, if God will forgive you, why wouldn't you forgive yourself? Or, or maybe you need to make peace with God. I mean, Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for all your sin. 
to make peace with God possible? Will you choose to accept the peace and the forgiveness that he offers you? Because here's the thing, you can't take your life back until you're at peace with God, with others, and yourself. That's the only time that life will be good again. Now, when you came in today, it was another card that was laying on your seat and has a prayer on it from John Eldridge's book. And I would encourage you to pray this prayer this week, every morning and every night to remind you that life comes as we learn to live in the unforced rhythms of grace from a life that is at peace with God. But to close out our service today, I would love for you to join me in praying this prayer out loud. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read through it, first of all, prayerfully so that you can understand kind of the rhythm and the thought of this prayer. And then... I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud together with me as a commitment to say, Jesus, I'm coming back to you as the source of life. I'm coming back to you to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, to love my neighbor and love myself because you love me. And that's where I'm finding life. So let me read it first prayerfully to you, and then we will read it together as a commitment to Jesus. Jesus, I come back to you now in my longing for life to be good again. I love you here, Lord, in my soul's longings, desires, and heartaches. I consecrate to you my primal drive for life. I surrender to you my ability to aspire for good things, plan for them, take hold of them, enjoy them, and keep on aspiring. I consecrate all living in me to you, Lord Jesus. I give you my famished craving for life to be good again. I love you here. I love you right here. And now I ask that the river of your life would flow in me in my primal drive for life and in my longing for life to be good again. I open my heart and my soul to the river of life. Let it flow in me, through me, and all around me, restoring, renewing, and healing me. You alone are the life I seek, and I welcome your river into my heart and soul. I receive the river of your life in me. Thank you, God. In your mighty name, I pray. If that's your heart this morning, I invite you to pray this as a commitment to Jesus. It's the only way you get your life back. It's the only way for life to be good again. All of us together, all of our campuses. Jesus, I come back to you now in my longing for life to be good again. I love you here, Lord, in my soul's longings, desires, and heartaches. I consecrate to you my primal drive for life. I surrender to you my ability to aspire for good things, plan for them, Take hold of them, enjoy them, and keep on aspiring. I consecrate all living in me to you, Lord Jesus. I give you my famished craving for life to be good again. I love you here. I love you right here. And now I ask that the river of your life would flow in me, in my primal drive for life, and in my longing for life to be good again. I open my heart and soul to the river of life. Let it flow in me, through me, and all around me, 
restoring, renewing, and healing me. You alone are the life I seek, and I welcome your river in my heart and soul. I receive the river of your life in me. Thank you, God. In your mighty name, I pray. Father, I thank you for your incredible love to us. A love so great that not only were you willing to pay the sin debt, but a love so great that we can have grace that will bridge all that sin has separated. You'll help us to learn to love you, not a God out there, but Jesus who's in me, to love you here, to love you right here, right now in me. And also to learn to love others as you've loved us and even to love ourselves because we understand our value and our worth because of our relationship and our identity in you. God, I just pray that this week is our primal drive for life and our desire for be, to be good again starts just gnawing in our soul and we feel that craving. May we be reminded that that truly is gonna be found as we come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, here I am, all of me, my heart, my soul, my mind, and I love you with all of it. Give it all to you. Fill me with your river. I thank you for your incredible love that you want to impart your life to us. Oh, that's amazing. May we begin to experience and live in it this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks, everyone. Don't forget to sign up for a group. We will see you next week as we continue to live in the, learn to live in the unforced rhythms of God's grace. Have a great week.